Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. We are definitely in AI hype mode at the moment, largely driven by the evolution in generative AI. However, it seems like this progress is not necessarily driving lots of data-related innovation inside organizations that are not AI-first tech companies. A recent survey published by Randy Bean's company, New Vantage Partners, confirms this. Why is it so hard to become a truly data-driven organization? In this episode, Randy and I explore the challenges facing chief data and analytics officers and their teams, including how organizations can create an environment that encourages innovation in data-driven initiatives, examples of organizations doing data well and why, how to set clear expectations around the responsibilities of CDAOs, the most important qualities for someone in the CDAO role, and much more. Let's get to it. Here's Randy. Randy Bean, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Jones. I am very excited by today's episode because we are going to be talking about the challenges of the Chief Data and Analytics Officer role or the Chief Data Officer role, depending on what kind of combination of those you like. We'll get into whether they should be combined or not uh, as well in this podcast. But before we do that, we should hear a bit about you. Could you start by telling us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, I've spent an entire career, one might say an entire lifetime in the data and analytics space. And it was largely by default. I studied English and history and art history and all of that type of stuff. But I wanted to work for a major company. So I went to work for a major bank, Bank of Boston, which is now part of Bank of America. And where the jobs were when I was coming out of school was uh, it was the early stages of really the development of technology. So I was trained as a COBOL and assembler programmer, but I was uh, much less interested in the programming and much more interested in the stuff that we were moving around, which was the data. And I was responsible for the deposit accounting history system. And I remember going to some of my colleagues or leaders and saying, wow, this is amazing. We collect all of this information on our customers, their history, all of their transactions over the past seven years. What do we do with this information? And the response I got was, well, the regulators make us hold on to it for seven years, then we're able to destroy it. And my response was, wow, you know, what a, what a lost opportunity. 
So after a few years, I moved on to the business side of the bank, helping the organization use the data that it had to basically do a better job of acquiring customers, retaining customers, cross-selling customers. I went to work for a number of years for a company that was a leader in an early pioneer in database marketing. Now today that might be known as CRM and work with most of the major banks in North America. There was a lot more than helping them get, keep and grow their customer relationships. During the internet era, I went off to Silicon Valley. I helped in co-founding two venture-backed startup firms, including one with Kleiner Perkins. In 2001, all of that came collapsing down. Not knowing precisely what to do next, I started my own firm called New Vantage Partners. And for 20 years, we advised Fortune 1000 companies on how to innovate with data, how to build the data culture, how to become more data-driven, those type of activities, how to leverage data as a business asset. Did that for 20 years through many different cycles and then sold the company in December of 2021 to a Paris-based global consultancy, Wavestone, and I continue my affiliation with them. Now I'm something called an innovation fellow. I equate it sometimes to being professor emeritus, so I do a lot of uh, speaking, writing. I organize a significant number of chief data and analytics officer events. Next week in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I'll be moderating for the ninth consecutive year the CDAO panel. So this year have chief data officers from Universal Music, Sanofi, Visa, Colgate, Paul Olive, and Harvard Business School. So that will be the ninth year. I'm also organizing uh, four or five other CDAO events this year. And I guess the other thing to mention is that along the way, as data gained in prominence, I was I started to be asked to write. So in 2014, 2015, I wrote a monthly column in Big Data. On the Wall Street Journal, have continued ever since then in Forbes, write about three to four articles per year in Harvard Business Review, a six-part series each year in MIT Sloan Management Review. And during COVID, because I couldn't travel, I wrote a book, Fail Faster and Faster, Lessons in Data-Driven Leadership in an Age of Disruption, Big Data, and AI. So that's, that's a little bit about who I am. Great. And I'm sure that a lot of the listeners to this podcast will know your, your writing from especially the Harvard Business Review. That's where I've come across it. And also Forbes, of course. So you have uh, contributed to the, the this course around data and analytics for quite a long time, and you're a well-known figure. So you are absolutely the right person to be talking about and commenting on the topic of today, which is a very exciting one, which is the chief data officer and where they're at and, and where they're going to get to in the future and all the challenges that come with that. And Randy, I think we should actually start with some sobering facts that come from from you, from New Vantage Partners, because you recently did a survey and uh, I'll start quoting some numbers in a minute here. Oh, you've got it there. You're holding it up. And right now we're definitely in AI hype mode. Everyone's excited by AI and ChatGPT's made it real for a lot of people. And that's great, but it really seems like this progress is not necessarily driving lots of data-related innovation inside organizations that are not these sort of AI tech companies like our favorite friends, Microsoft, 
Amazon, Google, what have you, the, the fangs of the, the big nine. In all the other companies in the world, it's much more mundane. And actually, uh, I'll start now reading some of the stats from your report there, which is that between the first time you did this survey back in 2019 and now, 59.5% of executives reported their companies were driving business innovation with data. No change in that period. Just under 41% of executives today reported that their companies were competing on data, which is actually a decrease from almost 48% four years ago. Uh, almost 40% reported that their companies were managing data as a business asset, which is also a decline from almost 47% four years ago. 24% reported that their companies have created a data-driven organization, which is also down from 31% four years ago. And then lastly, 21% of executives reported that they had a data culture established in their organizations. And that is, again, a decrease from over 28% back in 2019. So lots of decreases in these numbers. So we've actually gone backwards, at least maybe not in a, an absolute sense, but somehow the goalpost has moved perhaps for what these terms mean. And this is despite nearly 83% of these organizations having a chief data officer or equivalent role in place. What's going on? Could you tell us about this? Yeah, happy to. And, and this is a topic I could probably speak on uh, all day or for, for many hours because it, it is where I'm focused because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of topics. The other day, somebody introduced me as an AI expert, which I thought was very funny. And I said, first of all, I'm not an AI expert. And second of all, I'm not sure that anybody is. But when it comes to uh, the role of the chief data officer, uh, let me give you a couple of data points. And by the way, I uh, actually started conducting this survey of uh, Fortune 1000 organizations in 2012. The sets of questions that you just read, we started asking. Oh, apologies. Yes. Uh, yes. No, no problem at all. We started asking those questions five years ago to track the progress, but initially launched the survey in 2012, prompted by a CIO from actually from JP Morgan of all places, who really wanted to understand whether big data was something that was taking hold within Fortune 1000 companies or it was just the latest trend. So that was really the impetus for the survey. But a few things. So, you know, as noted from the outset, I've been working in the data space long before, you know, the existence of the chief data officer role and its various permutations since then. So, you know, for, for many years, data was a, a domain of the chief information officer or, or other groups within the organization. But Following the financial crisis of 2008-2009, from a regulatory perspective, there was a real impetus to establish a role where there was responsibility for data because so much of the uh, data and numbers that had been produced and shared with the regulators at the time of the financial collapse were, were inaccurate. So. Initially, and particularly within major banks, the CDO role was established purely on a defensive role, regulatory risk management, et cetera. And as it so happens, one of the first chief data officers, actually the first enterprise chief data officer for a major bank, was one of the partners out of our, within our firm. So he was hired out of our firm to be the first enterprise chief data officer at Citigroup. So really from day one, 
had yeah. visibility into, okay, what is this new role? What does it mean? Where does it report? What are its responsibilities? And what I've seen over time is that it's a very nascent role in the same way that 35 or 40 years ago, the CIO was a new role and the inside joke at the time was CIO stood for career is over. In that same respect, CDO is a challenge because, you know, there's not a standard blueprint. Um, each organization or certainly by industry varies in their vision of how they've applied the role. You know, many CDOs aspire to do more than just risk and regulatory work. They want to help grow the business, provide insights into customers. And so over time, the CDO role took on a more offensive aspect. And I believe this year in that same survey, if I could pick up the numbers, it was roughly, I'm going to say two thirds that were now focused, well, to be precise, 61.8% said that they were focused on offensive activities, growth and innovation relative to defense, regulatory and efficiency, which was 38.2%. So some progress in, in that regard. But you know, it's it, it's a new role. Organizations continue to struggle with deriving business value from their data and analytics investments. But at the same time, any type of change or transformation, it doesn't take place overnight. So organizations need to be realistic in terms of their expectations of achieving business value. It doesn't happen over a period of quarters or even a few years. It happens over many years. Early in my career, I had a CIO of a major bank that said to me, you know, any significant change, it takes at least a decade for it to take place, at least within a legacy company. So, you know, if you're a greenfield company like the firms you mentioned, Amazon, at the start of the digital era, Microsoft, et cetera, you know, you don't have the burden of all of that legacy baggage. But if you're a company that's been operating for generations or even for 200 years as some of these major banks, it's a significant change to your business processes, uh, how you operate, et cetera. So, there is both good news and bad news in this. The bad news is that there's a long way to go, but the good news is that there's plenty of opportunity, progress is being made. My colleague, Tom Davenport, who wrote Competing on Analytics, when reported that only 40.8% of organizations were competing on analytics, he said, you know, when I wrote that book 20 years ago, if you had told me within 20 years, 408 would be competing on data and analytics, I would have thought that that was a great accomplishment. So, you know, a lot depends upon your vantage point as well, and whether the, you see the glasses half full or half empty. Yeah, and imagine this uh, this goalpost moving all the time for what we call data driven and what we call innovation with data and so on. You you mentioned a, a really important concept, which is also uh, another famous Harvard Business Review article actually uh, around uh, being defensive versus offensive with your with your data. And the original chief data officer role was uh, very much data, right? So I'm actually thinking uh, data warehousing uh, projects and uh, data accuracy mainly. Now you're seeing it often also encompass the offensive part, which is the analytics and the, the driving bis of business outcomes, um, et cetera. Where is that going? Is, is this a role we should be considering to be a chief data and analytics officer role most commonly? Or where do you see that? Well, you know, that's interesting because in the latest Harvard Business Review article I wrote, I think I called it the CDAIO, 
because several organizations were now uh, lumping artificial intelligence into that as well. So, you know, we can say it's a, it's a work in progress in that regard. But a, a few other points there along those lines, and that is, is that a lot depends upon expectations. So you mentioned that the uh, survey numbers ha had gone down. And people have said, you know, why is that? Are we getting worse? And my response is, you know, it can be attributed to a number of factors. I mean, obviously, volumes of data continue to proliferate, sources of data continue to proliferate. But I think over time, as organizations become more mature in the world, they also become more realistic. So I think at the outset, many chief data offices and organizations that had newly established the role, they said, well, of course, we're uh, data driven. And of course, we're competing on analytics. And of course, we have a data culture. But over time, uh, as they become more realistic, they've said, you know, we, we really don't. And let's not fool ourselves. And we have work to do. And we should be realistic about that. In terms of the integration of analytics into the role, I think that there's a question in the survey this year that asks whether analytics had been integrated into CDO role. And I believe that roughly two thirds of organizations said it had. So clearly this is a, a, a trend in direction. And I think it's a very positive trend because often in its initial phases, CDOs were primarily focused on gathering the data, organizing it, making it more accessible, issues around data cleansing, data access, but less uh, focused on the application. And I guess one of the things that I try to encourage any organization is that, you know, from my experience, the most successful chief data and analytics officers are those that are closest to the business and that it all starts with the business in terms of you know, what are the most important questions that you need to ask as an organization and need to solve to grow your business, to innovate, to effectively serve your customers. And, you know, one of the things that have seen this year is that given various degrees of economic uncertainty and given layoffs in, say, for example, high-tech industry, and given bank failures, Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic Bank, Credit Suisse, there's been greater pressure than ever on chief data and analytics offices to prove that they're delivering business value. So I think my year began 2020-23 on day one, January 1st, hearing from the chief data officer from Verizon that they were no longer in that role. And since then, I believe there's been roughly 15 or 16 chief data officers ranging from Albertsons to Citizens Bank to Eli Lilly to Levi's to State Farm, you know, the list goes on and on, who have left their roles. And when I'm asked, you know, why are they leaving their roles? Is it voluntarily or not voluntarily? You know, I say that from what I'm saying, as best I can tell, you know, with kind of a 360 degree perspective that you hear within from others within those organizations as well. It's really an issue of a renewed pressure this year for chief data office and analytics offices to show that business value. And as a consequence, you know, the heat has been turned up. Some people have said, you know, this has uh, become an impossible role. So they decided to move on. 
others they've been put in a situation where it's impossible. So show us within 30 or 60 days the value that you're delivering. And then if they can't, then you know maybe that you aren't the right person for the job. I've also seen people, more people with business backgrounds being put into the CDAO role. In other words, like, you know, you, you don't need to be a data management expert. You don't need to be an analytics expert. But what you do need to know is, you need to understand our business. You need to understand how data and analytics can be important to our business. And, and that's what we need in this role. So that's kind of a, a long-winded answer or perspective on your question, but I'll, I'll pause there and see if you have any follow-up on that. I definitely do. And one of the things that I say to people often is, this is one of the hardest jobs out there. Uh, objectively, in my opinion, this is one of the hardest jobs out there because it is undefined. It is delivering value through others, not by itself. It doesn't own its PL. It has to convince all the stakeholders to do the right things with the output that comes from the, the teams that sit underneath this role. It's largely not that well understood what data is and where it comes from and what can be done. And the whole AI hype shows that as well, that now everyone wants some AI solution without really understanding where that begins and ends. Uh, I could go off on a rant on this <laughs> too, Randy, if I had the time. But I, I think let, let's let's get back to making this really practical because let's define why this is so hard. And you actually, I think, have already done that because you say that the chief data officer actually has seven roles in one. So could you outline for us what are these seven roles and how maybe that's changed over time? I know you've touched on it, but kind of a little bit of the detail on, on how that's changed over time and, and how that's led to this situation now where there's so much pressure on, on people in these roles? Yes. And, you know, it's it's funny because when I read the questions, I thought, you know, maybe I'll just answer those questions as they're posed or, or I come back to you and say, maybe we should change those questions. And th this was one of those because, first of all, I can't remember what the seven roles of the chief data officer are, but it doesn't really matter because that article was written three or four years ago, and undoubtedly they've changed in some respects significantly. So what I'd say is that at a high level, yes, there are the activities, you know, what we call, what one would describe as the data management activities to make sure that your data is in a format that business users can get value from it. Obviously, there's the analytics component, there's the, these days there's the AI component. More and more organizations are looking at the ethical consequences and privacy. So there's those components as well. You know, I, I could kind of go on and on, but, you know, one thing that I would say is that, you know, to your point about business sponsorship, you know, one of the things that I see that distinguishes organizations and CDAOs that are most successful is that when the business views you as bringing value, so for example, JP Morgan, within the past several months, they presented one of their annual reports or quarterly reports and Jamie Dimon got up there and he cited thing number one. And then thing number two was how data and analytics were making such a critical difference in the business. And he cited all of the examples. So to me, that's an example of where data and analytics has been embraced and is being successful. On the other side of the spectrum, I see a number of chief data officers that say, 
hey, you know, we're doing really great things. We're really doing really great things over here. Don't you see all the great things that you're doing? So if you have to be the one that's, you know, touting your own horn as opposed to the business saying uh, we couldn't do it without our team here, I think that's a critical difference. And one of the things that have seen over time to the broader questions here is I go in and speak to organizations and meet with their data leaders and they talk about the capabilities that they've created in their data literacy programs and data democratization, et cetera. And I say, this is all very impressive. And then I meet with the technology teams and they talk about the architecture and the engineering and data fabrics and data meshes and movement to the cloud and things of that kind. And I say, congratulations on the progress that you're making. And then I meet with a line of business leaders and I say, you know, with all of these investments and activity taking place around data, you must be uh, very excited and uh, realizing a lot of value. And too many times their response is, well, you know, let me be candid with you. And that is, is we just don't trust the data. We don't feel that we're getting commensurate value from our data and analytics investments. We know a lot of stuff's being built, but we don't even really understand what that is. We, we don't understand the language that's being used. We're not stupid people, <laughs> but we, you know, we're focused on driving revenue, improving profitability, serving our customers. And too often, we're not getting the data that we need to make those decisions. We're not getting in a timely fashion. We're not getting it in an easy to access format. So we realize that a lot of people are doing a lot of work and we realize that we're making a lot of investments, but for whatever reason, we don't feel that we're getting commensurate value. So I think, you know, those are the issues that organizations really need to grapple with. And sometimes I make the point that, you know, you don't need all of the data to solve the most critical problems of an organization. Sometimes you only need 5% or, or 10%. So, you know, sometimes it may be more incumbent, at least from the perspective of building trust and establishing credibility and ultimately building momentum to start small, focus on one or two or three critical business questions, solve those questions, engender the trust through that process, repeat that, and then build that credibility and momentum through that in that fashion. And once you have that, you can invest in the larger boil the ocean initiatives. But, you know, I see too many times where data leaders or technology leaders say, you know, we need a wholesale investment in these type of capabilities and the organization makes those investments. But then what I hear over time is the business leaders say, oh, not another data project because they've seen so many with such great promise but it hasn't been a magic bullet. And there are no magic bullets. So there's a lot of great capabilities that are out there, but should never lose sight of you know the reason why everybody's here and basically who's paying the bill as well. There's a lot to unpack in that. And Randy, so it, this is kind of the, the essence of the, the question at heart, which is, is the CDO role and its justification to some extent and it, the teams that sit underneath their justification in an organization. And you talk about uh, some businesses where, where people are succeeding with data and analytics and then probably the lion's share of organizations where it's not living up to its full potential. And data science has been touted as uh, the sexiest job in the 21st century and uh, we're all lapping it up like a, a cat drinking milk but 
the challenge is the business doesn't see us marketing our wares and uh, walking down the runway looking that sexy. They're, they're not seeing the results necessarily or they're not uh, actually absorbing the results, right? So there's potentially a production problem of not producing the right analytical outputs. There's potentially a consumption problem of the stakeholders not being able to actually consume that. Or there is something in the middle, which is a sales and marketing problem of not being able to communicate that to link those two things up. Where is the issue or where, where is most of the issue in that sort of, suppose that sort of end-to-end production line of work? And what do you see those few organizations that do this well, what do you see them doing differently, both the, the business, the non, non-analytics people, but also those analytics leaders? What, what is the magic fair dust that they're sprinkling around in their businesses that makes it all work so well? Yeah, you know, as noted, I could kind of go on and on, on on these topics. But one of the things that I'd say is that, you know, the CDAO role being a new role in that, you know, organizations haven't had clear expectations in terms of not only what they want to achieve, but what skills and capabilities they need in a person in that role. And as I think that as a consequence of that, there's been a number of individuals and organizations that have elevated people into those roles because they, if you will, had been strong contributors as subject matter experts. But that doesn't necessarily equate with being a C-suite executive, particularly when you're operating in a C-suite with others that have been in those roles and have become seasoned in those roles for a long period of time and have developed the communication and the persuasion skills and the sharp elbows and know how to pick their battles, etc. And I think picking the battles is an important point. So, you know, to a certain degree, what I've seen is you've had people elevated into the CDAO roles who have been kind of advocates and proponents and say, you know, we we have like a, a solution that's going to transform and propel the organization forward. And, you know, these are big organizations, so it takes time. So I think that understanding the culture is critical relative to the receptivity, the pace that an organization matures, its ability to adopt new capabilities and integrate those capabilities into the organization. So it's really, it requires that degree of understanding of the business, that particular company, the industry, and understanding how data and analytics can play a role in that context and where there is receptivity because, you you know, you can't force these things down people's throats. You can't preach that, hey, you know, we should all be data and analytics driven if an organization isn't ready to do that. It's funny because you spoke about the sexiest job of the 21st century, you know, from my colleague, Tom Davenport. There's, I think, one of the best chief data and analytics officers and spoke with her yesterday, as a matter of fact. She's going to be on a panel that I'm doing in two weeks. And I said to her, because we have this kind of ongoing inside joke, I said, so how's things in the coal mines? (laughs) Because... You know, she had described her job to me a few months ago as, you know, meeting with the business leaders and on the operating committee of the company, there's perpetual dissatisfaction in terms of, you know, we need more data, we need this type of data, you know, we need these data to make these decisions, you know, we're not getting it in a real what whatever the questions are. She sits there and feels like, oh, you know, how how should we be using generative AI? What should we be doing with uh, AI in our business that will propel us forward? 
So there's so many aspects that she feels, you know, overwhelmed at times, and she's very focused on working with the business and delivering business results. So she often feels that it's, as a matter of fact, the most unglamorous job in the world, and that it's akin to working in the coal mines because she goes back down and, you know, is chipping away at things. And it's a dark and dirty and tedious and and, and hard job and, and anything but uh, glamorous and sexy in many respects. And plus, there's the other side of that. If you're doing things that become glamorous and sexy and also become a, a target as well, because you've raised your profile to a degree that people say, okay, you know, if this is so glamorous and this is so sexy and we've created this new role and we've taken people and elevated them and now we're paying them uh, significant sums of money and we're going to sit back and we want to see things delivered. And so there's pressure that goes along with that as well. So, you know, there's many things that contribute to the challenges that CDOs face. And I think that one of the things that's happened, and, you know, I participate in these events and the CDOs come and they basically speak to one another about things that they're doing, where they may be gaining traction and so forth, but they're speaking to, what's the expression, preaching to the converted. They were sitting there with a series of business leaders that knew nothing in data about data and analytics, and much it might be a much more skeptical audience with people sitting there with their arms crossed or, you know, in some type of pensive mode. So, you know, it's great that we've gone from 12 years ago when there was roughly 12% of organizations that had appointed a CDAO to roughly whatever it is, 84, 85% that have appointed them now. But the job's not getting any easier, and that's evidenced by the considerable turnover. You know, some of the major banks are on their sixth or seventh chief data and analytics officer. Only a third of organizations say that they're, that the CDO role is well established within those organizations. Only 40% say that the role is well understood. So, you know, when you step back, all of this is good in the sense that this is progress over 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you've broken free on the field and you're running for the touchdown or the goal in soccer. It's a battle each and every day to show the value to incorporate new capabilities and to figure out, you know, where those fit and do so in a way that doesn't put the organization at risk. You know, I could just kind of ramble on indefinitely. I think it was Bill Schmazo, who is a former guest on the show, who said something like, the, the quicker you realize you're not doing the sexiest job in the 21st century, you're just a data janitor. The quicker you will realize what it's all about and the quicker you'll uh, figure out how to add value. I, I love that. Which was a, a sobering <laughs> point. <laughs> yes, data, data janitor. I'm going to incorporate that. Please use it. But of course, we should have lots of ambition for this. Now, Randy, so we've outlined that there is a, a problem here and there's a significant challenge for, for data, for data professionals, because the chief data officer is kind of an umbrella. It's a, it's a, it's a senior leadership role, but it, it affects everyone else that sits underneath because it's an organization that is the data organization inside an organization that has a job collectively to, to do with this stuff. The senior leader, of course, has to be able to influence at that executive level, but they also need everyone else to, to feed feed the work up and to do their bit to influence, etc. So we should be glass half full here and there's a problem, but we need to fix it and we can fix it because 
this is not the first time something like this has happened. There was a time where marketing didn't sit on the executive committee. There was a time where risk didn't sit there. There was a time where technology didn't sit there, like you said, the CIOs. So in that sense, it's not something that hasn't been done before. What should data leaders and their teams do to overcome this challenge? Yeah, I give a few recommendations. One is I've come to be a big believer in keep it simple. I sometimes joke that when I write an article for Forbes or Harvard Business Review, you know, I have an audience in mind, and that's the CEO of a Fortune 1000 company. And I describe it as uh, I say, I'm writing at a third grade level. And people say, oh, you know, that's very funny. And I say, I mean, like completely serious, because if you don't keep it simple and if you talk over people's heads, you, you lose them. And not only do you lose them, but depending upon the context, it can generate some level of resentment because if people feel that they're constantly being, their heads are being talked over that that starts to annoy them and bother them and it gets to the point where they, they they don't like it and might not even like the people that are doing it so keeping it simple communicating effectively particularly in business terms I, you know i know i don't know how many conversations i'm plugged into where people say well the business doesn't understand and you know they have to become more data literate and they have to do this and they have to do that and, you know, my answer would be that, no, they don't, you do, <laughs> because they're the ones that are running the show. They're, so, they're the ones that are paying the bills and you have to go the extra mile to meet them where they're at. That's just the reality, like it or not. And that they may not even be, they may be difficult in that regard, but, you know, it's really incumbent upon you to, to go that extra mile if you want to be successful and help the organization as fully as possible from a data and analytics perspective. And then, you know, along those same lines, I'd say, please tone down the jargon. There's too much data meshes, data fabric, data democratization, data literacy, et cetera. I mean, all those notions and capabilities that the, the intent is good, the intent is noble, but it seems that each and every few months or every few years, there's the new capabilities that have come along, you know, the, the shiny object, you know, data lakes, data lake houses, et cetera. You know, I noticed some question about data products and six months ago, I wrote a piece in Harvard Business Review because a lot of people were asking me about data products, but just in the past few days, some people have said, like, so this data products, you know, we just like heard all this talk about it for the past year, but we haven't seen anything change. So it's almost better to talk about simple things like how data is produced, who consumes it, who touches it, why it matters in the jobs that they have within an organization. Because, you know, m many years ago, was involved, and, and again, this is another term at the time it was called data lineage. But the point was, was working with a large organization, showing all the points where data originated and showing all the people that touched data along the way, and then showed the end customers and how they benefited from the data. And when that roadmap was outlined, the CEO said, you know, this is really the first time I've had an appreciation of how important data is to the organization and important to everyone and everyone and it's really everyone's job 
So the more that things can be phrased in ways that people see the impact and benefit to them and their customers and how it can make the organization more successful in you know, serving its customers or operating more effectively, I think that that's more important than jargon. And, and I know that vendors who have products and services, they need to differentiate their capabilities. And so it's important to come up with new names and so forth. But often those names become separated from the, the business value that's being provided. Yeah, if you start talking to your CEO about federated data lakes or whatever the latest term is, uh, unless they've got shares in Databricks or Snowflake, I don't think they're at all interested in that. And th- this is really the problem to a large extent. So, Wendy, I'm sitting here thinking about the last, say, five years of conferences I've gone to that have had some title of uh, data analytics or AI in it, in the title. And it's it starts with some sort of technical topic, but it always ends up with the business doesn't get it. They don't listen to us. They're not data literate enough. They don't appreciate it. We can't sell our ideas in. And they are legitimate problems that the business is not data literate. But we have to change that because the major problem, the bigger problem is that analytics teams are not business literate half the time. And when you see other departments like finance, they have a finance business partner, they go out there and they don't say, here's the balance sheet. You have to understand exactly how this works. And then I'll tell you how we can help you. And they say, no, no, you need to make that number go up and that number go up. And I'm going to tell you exactly how that's done. you got to sell more and reduce your cost or whatever it might be. They're also technical people and not salespeople. I could also use marketing as an example, but But then being marketing, they're much better at marketing than anyone else. Finance is not normally good at that, but they're still better at business partnering. So there's there's something here we have to do. How do we grow up? You've mentioned a lot of things here already, but how do we grow up as a a community of, of data professionals? Well, I think that there's a wonderful opportunity for data professionals and data leaders because basically you, we, us, you know, we're empowered to make that change. In other words, if we see that we or, you know, or others are ineffective at, at making the case or ineffective at building support, you know, we have the opportunity to change that if we want to. And that means stepping back and saying, you know, what are we doing that people are understanding? What are we doing that people are not understanding? And how do we do a better job of helping people understand and not overwhelm them? To your point earlier, it reminds me, it was about 12 years ago now that a data leader came to me and told me a story. And I was kind of like, uh, like, uh, no kidding. But they went to the uh, CEO of the company and they asked for $25 million for an MDM investment. And the uh, CEO looked at them and said, I have no idea what MDM is. So therefore, I'm not investing $25 million in it. And when you can come back to me and maybe describe something that and say, you know, I'd like you to invest $25 million because it's going to help us improve the ability to serve customers in this way, or it's going to increase our return on uh, various products and services, you know, then we can have a conversation. But, you know, don't come to me and say invest $25 million in some acronym that I have no idea what you're talking about. So, yeah, I mean, I think that 
data leaders have a great opportunity if they are, are serious and, and want to step up, and that is to really get inside the, the minds of business leaders to understand what it will take for data for business leaders to see how data and analytics can make their life easier or can provide them with insights that they don't have today or provide them with key pieces of information that would help them make a better decision at a particular uh, point in time. But I think, you know, it's like you talk about the, the battle on the war. It's one step at a time. You have to kind of pick your battles. You have to demonstrate some value in those situations. So I think that data leaders need to learn how to be exceptionally good listeners. And I know that's easier said than done, but they really need to practice at at listening so that they can find out what they hear consistently. And And they also need to practice how they play back. In other words, say, you know, is is this what I understand? Is this what I heard? You know, if I was to do this, would this be helpful? And and just trying from a communications perspective, really going the extra mile to work with business leaders to, to, you know, win their hearts and minds, basically. And I know that's all, you know, very general type of language, but you know, that's that's often how uh, successes are, are achieved. It doesn't have anything to do with who has the best technology or the highest IQ, you know, maybe in a greenfield opportunity in Silicon Valley, but not with, you know, 200-year-old legacy companies. So I subscribe to everything you said there. Do you have an example of someone you think has done this really well? You don't have to mention them by personal company necessarily, but perhaps what they did and how they did it. Yeah, you know, I'm going to use an example, even though I can't say whether that company's still doing it, but it, it's the, it's the mindset and the philosophy, and that is in banking in the U.S. Capital One. Capital One is roughly a 30, 35 year old bank, and what it was, as I understand it, was the founders were basically data and analytics people. And they developed an approach which would help basically market credit cards more effectively and market them to underserved or under, under underutilized segments of the marketplace. And they put that into practice and it worked very effectively and they became a leader in credit card marketing. And then they said, well, you know, just let's expand it to the full range of banking capabilities, loans, deposits, et cetera. But the thing that I love about Capital One is that they're never satisfied. So they have this, you know, I I will talk to other organizations and they'll say, oh, you know, we have everything under control. Yeah, we're doing this, we're doing that. You know, we're on a good trajectory. And Capital One is always like, you know, we think everybody's gaining on us. We think we're going to be surpassed. What should we be thinking about? You know, what are other organizations are doing? What are fintechs doing? What are new startups that aren't even in the financial services space. What are they doing that's analogous, that could be applicable for financial services? So they have this culture that's the opposite of complacent. It's driven to always be thinking that the competitor is gaining on you, that there's no uh, sitting at the top of the hill. You have to kind of fight each and every day to sustain your position. So that mindset is something that I see that distinguishes uh, those firms that have the best fighting chance from those firms that don't. You know, I would say at the same time that over the course of my career, I positioned myself where the 
mainstream of companies are. And the main, mainstream companies don't need to chase every single trend. All they need to do is look and wait and see when particular trends pan out in a way that they start getting adopted by the majority of companies, and then they can take them very seriously. So they can scout things, but they don't have to be uh, re reacting too quickly. So my point in all of that is that I think that organizations need to be vigilant. They need to fight complacency. They don't have to chase every shiny new object, but they do need to be thinking about are there things that are coming along, such as generative AI, that could make a difference in our business. Not, let's not freak out overnight because everybody else may be, but let's seriously think about how this could play a role in our business from a vantage point of five years, 10 years. And what are the things that we need to be doing to build the capabilities, structures, human resources, and skills that will allow us to be well positioned in terms of integrating this capability for the long term? So that sounds like role number eight for the chief data officer. Just come up <laughs> with one of these chat GPTs. But for us, I remember what, maybe five, 10 years ago when Facebook was still Facebook and not Meta, and it was at the heart of it. Everyone was saying, well, Uber, we went through the Uber phase as well, but it was the, can we build the Facebook of banking or the Facebook of utilities or the Facebook of, of whatnot? And the executives were flying to Silicon Valley from everywhere in the world to learn how they did it and what they did. Often uh, that is, well, guess what? We weren't a legacy company to start with, so uh, we, were already, <laughs> we were already ahead in that, in that sense. Hi there, dear listener. I just want to quickly let you know that I have recently published a book with six other authors called Demystifying AI for the Enterprise, a playbook for digital transformation. If you'd like to learn more about the book, then head over to www.leadersofanalytics.com AI. Now back to the show. Now, Randy, we're coming towards the end. I'm interested in your point of view on, we've outlined the biggest challenges for chief data and analytics officers right now. What do you think they're going to be in the future? And I think we can, we, we should imagine a future where we, we start to overcome some of the challenges we have now, but then what does it look like after that? And how do we keep building? You know, it's um, impossible to predict the future. You know, I think we are in a stage of maturity, but will the CDAO or CDAIO role, will it look the same in one, two, three years? It, it's hard to say. You know, obviously those companies that are digitally driven or greenfield companies, you know, the, the Facebooks, Googles, et cetera, you know, they don't really have chief data officers because it's so inbred in the DNA of uh, people throughout the organization. So, and, I, and I've heard Fortune 1000 companies that say, yeah, we've come to the realization that, you know, if we have a chief data officer, it somehow implies that, you know, it's not everybody's job, it's not everybody's role. So maybe we're gonna get rid of that role. And those same companies two or three years later have rehired a chief data analytics officer. So, so it's kind of like, the point is, is that back to that, main thing that there, there there's no one path there's no magic bullet you know each organization has to 
figure out what works for them. And it may be that the CDAO role is a interim change agent role, and maybe it comes in and out at various points in time, and maybe it's reconfigured. A lot of the people or some number of the people that have the titles now, that there's variations on the titles. There's chief analytics and insight officers, there's chief data digital and AI officers. So it's whatever works for, for each organization. And so in the same way that there's been no single blueprint for the CDO role over the past dozen years, I don't think that there will be or uh, needs to be necessarily going forward. Organizations need to learn what's worked for their organization, but it's tackling something that's happening and new and developing. So it's not it's not a stagnant thing. So the role needs to continue to evolve and create the job description and put it on the shelf, need to continue to adapt it based upon new developments. So in summary, more volatility coming our way, which is... Not necessarily a bad thing. That spells opportunity as well. But uh, we've got to be clever about how we how we pick that. And uh, maybe it means not just staying in one lane, but actually broadening the capability a bit. It sounds like, you know, if you if it's starting to mix digital into it or or other functions as well, it becomes much more of a broader remit. Randy, we're coming towards the end. I have two questions left for you. One is for you to pay it forward and to Tell us who you would like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why. Yeah, you know, actually, there's somebody who I have on my MIT panel next week who I think is really good. She actually just got named the CDO IQ uh, number one data influencer, Diana Schildhaus, Diana Schildhaus Hoskin. She's the chief analytics and intelligence or insight officer for Colgate Palmolive. And one of the reasons why I like her and recommend her was I had her on a panel last year with a number of CDOs, and I asked the question about how much time everybody was spending on defensive activities versus offensive activities and went through all the uh, banking executives, financial services, and they were roughly, I know, we're up to 30% on offensive activities, 40% on offensive activities, things of that kind came to her. She said, we're 100% on offensive activities and the audience cheered. She said, you know, we're, we're all about using data and analytics every day to figure out how we can serve our customers, grow our markets, et cetera. So she's a very forward-looking, progressive chief data officer focused on how data and analytics can be used to change the business. Brilliant. You have recommended the right person, but also the right topic for that conversation, I can hear. So we should definitely get her on the show. That would be very, very interesting. Lastly, Randy, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of your your book and other content? Yes. So on LinkedIn, I'm there under Randy Bean and VP. I have a website set up for my range of personal activities called randybeandata.com. The book, Fail Fast, Learn Faster, is available on Amazon, and it's also available for discounted bulk copies through uh, Porchlight Books, which is a distributor. So they sold bulk copies to a number of organizations that are looking to you know, provide a little perspective on the evolution of data and analytics to their business leaders and data leaders. Brilliant. And I will link to all those resources in the show notes, so everybody go and check them out. Randy Bean, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics today. It has been really, really interesting. And I think we could have talked about this for hours and hours and hours, but we're out of time. I hope 
that everyone listening to this has learned as much as I have. And I think we have a lot of reflections to take away as to how we as a community, not just uh, think about the data, but also how we sell it into organizations and actually change the trajectory that we're on for the better. So all the best with that and your new book sales as well. Thank you, Jonas. It was a pleasure being here. Uh, great questions. And, you know, there's, there's a great opportunity. People just need to think fresh every day and, and think different. Hi, dear listener. Just a quick note from me before you go. If you enjoyed this show, then please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes via your favorite podcast app. I have loads more great stuff coming your way. Also, I'd love some feedback from you on this show. So please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you soon.